0: This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec, the place to stay updated and educated. Tech Guide, episode 340. Thanks for listening and thanks for downloading. Really good to have your company once again. Welcome to, to our first-time listeners. My name is Stephen Fennec and I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. This week, it's TV season And LG and Samsung reveal their pricing and availability of their models. Apple has confirmed it will be holding a March launch event and has also named the date for the Worldwide Developers Conference. And Tesla has unveiled the new Model Y electric SUV. In the Tech Guide reviews, we're going to take a hands-on look at the new Panasonic Lumix S-series cameras. BenQ has released some affordable true 4K projectors and the first mobile vending machine in Australia for rideshare vehicles. And we'll answer your tech questions in the Tech Guide help desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, the company that can keep you connected, and Norton, the company that keeps you protected. Well, it's that time of year again. And by that I mean there is new TVs on the horizon and the LG and Samsung, the two biggest brands, have named their pricing and also revealed the availability of their 2019 range of televisions. Samsung kicked it off, though, with an announcement about their 8K TV range. They are releasing those first. They made the announcement that on April 1 the stock will be in store and there will be also a special pre-order offer for anyone who pre-orders any Samsung QLED 8K TV from Samsung's online store. You'll get for your trouble a bonus Galaxy S10 Plus smartphone valued at $1,499. So you're kind of getting a $1,500 discount on on the 8K TVs. Now, why 8K? I hear you say we've barely got used to 4K. Samsung are are leading the way here in 8K. They've been the most visible. Other brands are doing the same, including LG, which we'll talk about in a moment. Other brands are also talking 8K. But Samsung have made a real investment here, and they're going hard for the customer who wants those larger screen sizes. We're talking 82-inch, 75-inch, and 65-inch TVs, they'll all go on sale on April 1. Now, the reason that Samsung is moving in this direction is because of this demand for larger screens, they want to preserve the high picture quality. Now, the bigger you go with a television, even a 4K TV, the, the further the pixels have to stretch, and the picture quality might not be there. For those really large screens, especially when you're sitting closer to the TV, you may notice those pixels on the screen. So Samsung, or well, the industry solution, was to go 8K, which is actually four times the resolution of 4K, and 16 times the resolution of full HD. So it wasn't so long ago where we were, we were saying talking about 4K and saying it's four times the resolution of full HD. Well, guess what? We're back again, 8K four times the resolution of 4k and I have seen these Samsung TVs and the LG8k TV and they are incredible you can stand with your nose 10 centimeters away from the screen and not notice a pixel there is so much detail it's scary so the the these TVs while there's no 8k content to speak of at the moment and nothing will be uh, anytime soon there'll be no 8k content. These TVs, uh, the Samsung TVs in particular, have an incredible upscaling technology. So, any content that you play through the television will be upscaled to near 4K, near 8K quality, I should say. So, if you're watching YouTube or you're watching HD or 4K, it will upscale all the way to 8K and I have seen this upscaling technology uses artificial intelligence it's really sophisticated and the results of the upscale is some of the best I've ever seen so don't be scared about not having 8K content because this will upscale to 8K that it will look better than you've ever seen before your content will look incredible Now, those TVs, let's go through the pricing here, and uh, you may need to sit down for some of these. The 65-inch Q900 8K TV is $9,999. The 75-inch Q900 is $12,999. And for the Big Daddy, the 82-inch Q900 8K QLED TV, that is $17,499. Again, these are first generation of eight K TVs of course, they are seemingly expensive or well, they are expensive and uh, as were four K TVs I guess when they appeared a few years ago but these are the, these are recommended retail prices so I think that those prices in store are going to be a lot lower I'm talking probably fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars lower uh, maybe in the in the in the case of the eighty-two inch 17,500 17, may even come down to under fifteen thousand. Uh, it's going to be pretty competitive there. But in the meantime, if you do pre-order it at that price, you're going to get a free phone, which is kind of getting a it's getting a free it's getting like a fifteen hundred dollar discount anyway. So that, that that's not a bad result right there. Samsung, yeah, they are first off the, off the blocks with their announcements, but LG weren't too far behind, and they had a bit of a showcase to to uh, show off their range of TVs. And, and as LG do, they lead the way with OLED TVs, but they've also got super UHD TVs as well as regular UHD TVs. And the kind of good, better, best structure here uh, is still in place. And of course, OLED being at the top of the tree, yes, you still have that amazing wallpaper TV. That's going to be available in 65 and 75-inch sizes, uh, sorry, 65 and 77-inch sizes. That's the W9 OLED TV. Uh, You'll also have the 65-inch E9 series as well as the C9 series, which comes in 55, 65 and 77 inches. The 77-inch C9 is $15,999. The 77-inch OLED uh, the wallpaper, the W9, is $19,999. That'll be available from next month. Uh, the 77-inch C9 will be also available next month. Uh, all of these prices, by the way, TV, the pricing, availability of every LG model, as and also the Samsungs I just mentioned, uh, as well as their soundbar pricing, is all on tech guide. So I may mention a few here and there, but if you want to see the complete rundown, uh, they've got TVs ranging in size from forty three inches all the way up to seventy seven inches. Uh, then that so you can take a look at that as well. Actually no they've got an eighty six inch T V as well. The uh, the SUHD TV that's ten thousand nine hundred and ninety nine dollars. The forty three inch is a UHD TV also one thousand two hundred and ninety nine dollars. So that's your cheapest forty three inch UHD, all the way up to your seventy seven inch wallpaper TV nineteen thousand nine hundred and ninety nine dollars. So what what about the TVs? What's new about them? Well, uh, the new the new thing with these TVs is their processing power and they've got the new second-generation A7 and A9 processors. The A9 is in the OLEDs, and the A7s are in the SUHD TVs. One thing, though, the lineup has got in common is the smarts of the system. So whether it's a Super UHD, which is kind of their Nano Cell TV, which is equivalent to Samsung's QLED TV, uh, whatever, uh, th- that would, whatever TV you, that you're looking at from LG, one thing they all have in common is the WebOS operating system, which is brand new for 2019. It does offer these great new features, the ability to pick up where you left off with Netflix and other TV and other streaming services. It's also got both voice assistants. So it's got Google Assistant as well as Alexa as well. So you've got the choice of both. And later this year, the 2019 LG TVs will also support Apple AirPlay 2. So uh, that'll be a software upgrade so you can stream video and audio content from iOS devices as well as link to Apple's HomeKit to connect to other compatible smart products. So they've really covered, they've covered everything there with the voice assistants and and AirPlay 2 coming on board. Uh, But the other thing that LG announced also, apart from its regular uh, 4K TVs, is also an 8K TV. They've got the 8K Z9 OLED TV that's 88 inches. They haven't named a price yet because it's going to be high, it's not available till the second half of 2019. There was no sighting of the OLED R. Remember the rollable TV that we saw at the Consumer Electronics Show? No sign of that, not even a word about that. It, too, is likely to be second half of 2019 and at, a probably, at a, definitely at an eye-watering price, which uh, we, we're anticipating to be quite high. Uh, the Z9, the 8K 88-inch OLED, uh, looked incredible also powered by the Alpha 9 second-generation intelligent processor, uh, giving just incredibly detailed and vivid images right there on the screen. And uh, the, the detail, especially OLED, you've got to remember OLED delivers really great black levels, and from those great black levels, it does some terrific color as well. And imagining that in 8K quality, OLED quality as well, it is really something to behold. Wait till you see this TV, it is remarkable. LG also uh, went through some soundbars that they're releasing as well. Soundbars, they're really making some noise, pardon the pun, in the soundbar department They've got the SL10, SL9 and SL8 soundbars and these are all Dolby Atmos. They're also, that they can support Dolby Atmos to offer that three-dimensional sound. The message we're getting here through LG and the soundbars is that they're pretty affordable. They range in price. The SL8 is $1,099, SL9 is $1,499, SL10 is $1,699. Pretty affordable if you're going to spend big money on a television, but it does add a tremendous audio quality to the experience. I've heard these with my own ears and cannot believe the quality you're getting for the price. So LG, who've partnered with Meridian, by the way, the British audio brand, to, to tune these to great quality. And again, I've heard these with my own ears and they do sound incredible. So great value that you're going to get there as well as terrific audio quality as well. LG and Samsung both going to be delivering some new TVs and some exciting new 2019 televisions uh, in the coming weeks and months. And if you want to see those exact pricing for every model, you might be in the market for a TV. I get asked every day, what's a good TV to buy? Well, uh, I've listed all of them here, the LG TVs, the Samsung 8K TVs. You can read about all of them at techguide.com. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fenner. Apple has confirmed it will be holding a March launch event uh, next weekend. As a matter of fact, it'll be March twenty-five, March twenty-six, Australian time, early in the morning. And the event has been tagged. Uh, it's it's the name that went out on the invitation and said it's showtime, and uh, pretty obscure. But if you've been following the rumors, you will know that the that's the there has been plenty of talk about. Apple launching its own streaming service, so a Netflix type service uh, of its own, and this is likely to be. I am pretty. I am ninety nine percent certain this is going to be the subject of this event. Uh, the Apple service won't be won't, according to my information, won't be kicking off for a couple of months yet. But they've, there's also already been strong rumours that Apple's already commissioned some original content for this service. Uh, and and not with just anybody. The stars that are rumoured to be involved with this original content include Reese Witherspoon, Jennifer Aniston, Steve Carell, and Jennifer Garner. And... They apparently have also received invitations for this launch event and are probably going to appear on stage beside Apple CEO Tim Cook when he makes this announcement. Now, this service for Apple... I think they want to put their hat in the ring. They, they've they've in the past done a lot with music through iTunes, so they've kind of been the the delivery mechanism to get music to to customers. Uh, they're trying to do the same thing with news. Uh, this is another subject, another possibility for this event is a a, a new Apple News service, which will make. Subscriptions and paywall content available a little easier to customers, uh, and now with this Apple TV streaming service, they are going to place themselves. They're going to try do do to movies and TV shows what they did for music with iTunes, and that they see this as a a growing market. Look at Netflix, the success of Netflix. There's other services around the world. Uh, that we don't even have access to here in Australia, that are huge. Stan is another successful Australian uh, streaming service. Also, we've just recently got Amazon Prime. So there's talk that Disney is going to break out and have its own streaming service, and they are creating content especially for that. So there's going to be a lot of choices for customers here, and it's all going to come down to the content you want to watch. I think that the... The streaming services that produce the best content, those water cooler shows that you talk about, uh, they're the ones that are going to win the customers. Uh, just the fact that Apple is going to have a streaming service doesn't guarantee success. They're going to have to work really hard to make up the ground that Netflix has already got They've got millions of customers around the world. I know Apple has a very strong and loyal customer base. Uh, we'll, whether whether they'll transfer to subscribing to a streaming service is yet to be seen. Apple Music seems to be doing pretty well. There is a lot of customers that have uh, that have subscribed to Apple Music. Still not quite at the heights of Spotify membership numbers, but Apple Music nonetheless is still pretty successful. So whether Apple can can pull off a uh, pull off this uh, this. Uh, attempt here to steal a bit of this market for themselves with their exclusive streaming services. Uh, this service is yet to be seen. I, I think their success though with iTunes in the past, and you've got to remember iTunes also included movies, movies and TV shows, so there's been a lot of relationships built up over the years uh, for between studios, TV studios uh, and Apple. Uh, Apple have made their content, these studios' content available through iTunes. So I don't think those relationships ever went away. Uh, I think there's been some pretty serious talks going on right now about exactly what Apple will provide for their streaming service. So they're uh, going to allow still people to like music, to buy individual movies, buy individual TV shows, like you can still on iTunes. But then there's the Apple Music model where it's a monthly payment for an all-you-can-eat eat setup. Uh, how it's going to be set up on uh, with Apple service uh, is yet to be seen. We'll all find out at the same time. Kicks off at 4 a.m. Sydney time on March 26th. It's going to be held at the Steve Jobs Theatre uh, on the Apple Park campus, so stay tuned for that there's going to be it's going to be unusual to be watching an apple event where there's no hardware uh, that's going to be that's going to be unveiled from my information is despite the rumors of airpods 2 and the air power mat and all these other products there's an ipad mini due for an update soon uh, i don't think we're going to see that uh, th- that uh, at this event in fact as we go to air as i record this the apple store is down for updates, and whether that's going to be to release these hardware products now ahead of this event uh, is, is, is a solid chance. So keep an eye on that as well. If that is the case, of course, I'll be writing about that on Tech Guide uh, tomorrow, uh, which will be early in the week. So check out the website for any news there. Uh, but also Apple confirmed that the Worldwide Developers Conference will kick off on June the 3rd and run until June 7 in San Jose at the McInery Convention Center, which is where it's been for the last two years. Uh, We're going to see all the world's best developers converge on this amazing event and and listen to the updates that Apple has in store for iOS 13, Mac OS 10.15, Watch OS 6, TV OS 13. Uh, All these updates are going to come along. Possibility of some hardware as well. Possibly a new high-end Mac Pro uh, has been rumored. Uh, But generally, it's where developers, it's a massive developer love-in, where they all come, talk to Apple engineers uh, to see what they can produce using Apple's new platforms or updated platforms. And it's so popular, this event, that you have to apply for tickets, Tickets cost like fifteen hundred dollars. I understand, and that just paying that money doesn't guarantee you a seat. So you've got to apply through the Worldwide Developer Conference website for tickets, which are issued in a random lottery process. So if you've got the money, you need to also be picked in the lottery to make it. So uh, that's that's how that's how much in demand this Worldwide Developer Conference is. And once again, though, Apple is also offering 350 worldwide developer conference scholarships to students. So uh, the, the students, uh, you know, kids are learning coding in school nowadays, so it's no surprise there are a lot of students who are interested in developing apps and, and products for Apple's platforms, and Apple is really encouraging that by giving 350 scholarships, which you need to apply for. You've, uh, if you can apply through the Worldwide Developer Conference website, we've linked it on Tech Guide. but if you do win that scholarship, you get a free ticket to the Worldwide Developers Conference, and also Apple's going to put you up in a hotel. Uh, And I think they'll they'll fly you over there as well. So you get over there, all expenses paid trip to San Jose for the Worldwide Developers Conference. If you're a keen student who wants to earn a scholarship, that is a distinct possibility. All that Apple news, you can read all of it at techguide.com.au. Tesla has revealed the Model Y. This is an electric SUV, and no surprise, it looks a lot like the Model 3. So you know we've that the Tesla have already got the Model S, uh, they've also got the Model X. These uh, were their first electric vehicles, they're quite expensive, but then came along Model 3, which is like a cheaper version of the Model S, and now we have Model Y, which is a cheaper version of, of the Model X, the SUV vehicle. Uh, and it's uh, it does look like uh, the, a taller and larger version of the Model 3. It's going to have a range of 480 kilometres, uh, and it's also going to be available in a seven-seat configuration. It's going to be a tight squeeze in there. I've sat inside a Model 3. It's not the biggest car in the world. So the Model Y, I'm not sure, I think it's built on the same wheelbase, so not sure where they're going to find the space to fit those extra people. But they're pretty clever over there, at Tesla, so we'll be keen to see that for ourselves. It's got a panoramic sunroof, very much like the Model X, where the windscreen actually goes up and continues and, conti- and, and forms the roof similar kind of design here. It does, it, it, it's got a larger rear portion and larger rear haunches uh, than the Model 3. That's the reason why this is going to be called an SUV. SUV is the fastest growing category of cars in the world. So Tesla no doubt uh, want to put their hat in the ring to get a piece of that. Now the Model 3, uh, sorry, the Model Y, uh, like the Model 3, doesn't have keys, It can be opened and and accessed using your smartphone. So if you've got your Tesla app on your phone, you simply walk up to the car, car unlocks. Uh, So good reason to keep your phone charged up for easy entry and exit. The vehicle won't be available, though, till 2020. We're talking Q3 next year. So it's still a year and a half away from going on sale. So I think orders, customers in the US and here in Australia will be able to place their orders soon. We're still here. We're still waiting for the Model 3 to to arrive in Australia. That's due in the middle of the year. Uh, And yet people who put their money down and reserve took their place in the line uh, on the reserve list, it's been now more than three years since that list was created and when people put down their 1500 bucks, those people still can't get in the system and configure their car. Uh, if it's going to make a mid-year delivery, that's going to have to happen pretty soon. So we're hoping that is sooner rather than later. The Model Y, though, will start at one at starting US dollars thirty nine thousand uh, dollars. Then there's a long range model for forty seven thousand, a dual motor all wheel drive for fifty one thousand, and the performance model for sixty thousand US dollars. And that performance model will actually be able to go zero to one hundred kilometers an hour in three point five seconds, which is pretty impressive. Uh it it is again Tesla's attempt to create a more affordable vehicle for the masses not everyone can afford a Model S and a Model X hence the reason why the Model Y is, is becoming, is, has been revealed and will be coming to market uh, in, the ne- in the next year and a half. But Model 3, keep an eye out for that. We're going to see that really soon right here in Australia. If you want to read more about the Tesla Model Y, you can check that out at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Norton. That's the company that can protect you and your family online. We live in a world where hackers are constantly finding new ways to steal your personal information. And because we spend so much time online, it's quite possible we could find ourselves in a cyber criminal sites. The Norton team is dedicated to keeping people safe online, no matter how they connect. So whether you're paying bills on your phone, shopping on your tablet, or banking on your laptop, Norton Security Premium is working hard behind the scenes to help keep your information, your identity, and your devices protected. For more information on how to protect your digital life, visit au.norton.com. And now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennec. Our Tech Guide review, we're going to kick it off with the S series, the Lumix cameras, which I got was lucky enough to get my hands on uh, when I spent a couple of days down as a guest of Panasonic down in Hobart. Uh, they gave us a, uh, I had the S1R, which is uh, the other model to the S1. Now, this is a brand new category of cameras for Panasonic and the Lumix lineup. These are their first mirrorless full-frame cameras, and Lumix, they've had a bit of reputation for being ergonomic, rugged, so great for professional videographers and photographers, Uh, so we were lucky, as I said, to get a hands-on look at the camera in beautiful Hobart. I've never been to Hobart before, and uh, it was a pleasure to spend some time down there, uh using this magnificent camera. Now, what with the S-Series, which, again, is, uh, as I mentioned, is designed for professionals or really high-end enthusiasts, there's a new Leica L-mount for new lenses. So none of the L-lenses of the other Lumixers will fit. This is a brand-new mount, the L-mount. Uh, there's going to be three lenses from Panasonic at launch next month, but they're also f- coming from partners Leica and Sigma, There will be another ten lenses, so all up, there's going to be thirteen lenses for the S series, three from Panasonic and the rest coming from Leica and Sigma by 2020. And now these launch next month. Uh, The S series uh, launches with these three lenses from Panasonic. It's there's a Pro 50 mil f 1.4. There is the S Lumix S Pro 70 to 200 mm uh, f4 uh, there's also the 24 to 105 uh, mil f4 as well uh, they've all the 70 and the 24 have got optical image stabilization on board as well so a pretty handy range of lenses there so and two with optical image stabilization the cameras themselves have a new 35 millimeter format so designed to do really well in low light and give you incredible high dynamic range as well uh, and for the first time there's dual image stabilization so with up to six stops of stabilization uh, so we, combined with the stabilization in the lens and the stabilization in the body you'll be able to take some incredible shots including slow shutter shots that uh, handheld shots that would normally have required a tripod I saw the results uh, and these, you would have sworn that they used a gimbal or a tripod to take these images, but they, they did. It was handheld. That's how good the optical st- image stabilization is. Uh, another first for the S series is high resolution mode. Uh, And what that means, this is for the S1R. So you can uh, create up to 187 megapixels of resolution. Uh, so, So it gives you plenty of room to create some pretty impressive images as well. Now, the S-series body, solid, really comfortable to hold, ergonomically great. All the buttons and dials were well within your fingertips. Uh, Made of magnesium alloy, it is, and it's uh, splash-resistant, dust-resistant, and freeze-resistant to a temperature of minus 10 degrees Celsius. So basically, you can take them anywhere. This does really enhance Lumix's reputation as being a real sturdy choice for photographers and videographers, because uh, you, you can, if you're running, running and gunning, filming, videoing, you, you sometimes it takes you into some pretty wild places, and this camera can handle it. It takes two high-speed memory cards. There's two slots: one supporting uhs two SD cards, and the other the Q, uh, XQD cards. What it can't do, uh, it can't record directly to a portable solid-state drive as I've seen with the Blackmagic uh, Cinema 4K camera, which I'm currently reviewing and will have uh, up on tech guide shortly. Uh, and speaking of video, though, it can record 4K at 50 frames a second and 60 frames a second, along with high-speed video. So we can record 4K and full HD in slow motion. Now, if you want to take a look at the story on Tech Guide, uh I've still got more to tell you about the camera, but I just want to remind you that all the images on the story were all taken by yours truly. So um, there's some pretty nice shots there, and I've got to say, the camera did all the work. I just had to press the button at the right time, but the camera did a great job, did all the heavy lifting for me. Uh, what I really liked about the camera was the live viewfinder which is actually a OLED display. This viewfinder is incredible. When you're looking through it, you're actually looking at a 5.7 million dot OLED display. That is exceptional. You can also, of course, look at the screen on the back of the camera as well. That's got 2.1 million dots, and it's also a touchscreen. But one thing that bothered me about it was when I put my face to to the viewfinder, I sometimes touch the screen with my cheek and uh, force the uh, the focus point to the corner of the image, and I wasn't able to take the photograph because I changed the focus point. That that was a little annoying, but there is a ni- nice little lock uh, lock function, which actually locks off the touch screen, so you can still see through the screen, but it turns off the touch screen functionality, uh, so to prevent that happening as well. The S1, the S1R has a 47.3 megapixel full-frame CMOS sensor. The S1 has a 24.2 megapixel full-frame CMOS sensor. So the S1R is kind of, if you do more video than photography, then the S1R is the choice. If you're more into just your photography... The S1 will do the trick. If you do doing more, they, they both shoot video, they both take great photos, but the S1R is slightly better for video with that higher uh, megapixel count. The S1 still does great video, uh, but is more designed for your, your photographer, so to lean more towards the photography side. Now, there is, I mentioned the dual image stabilization. That uses five-axis stabilization. And as I said, even when you're doing those slow shutter shots uh, and higher ISO values, it is incredible what you can achieve handheld. So you don't need the tripod in these instances, which is absolutely remarkable. Now, in terms of ergonomics, uh, again, really firm grip control buttons are right there when you need them. The buttons are also now illuminated. So if you're in low light conditions, you can see the buttons because they're backlit. There's also a tiny little LCD display on the top edge of the camera that allows you to see all the settings at a glance as well. So if you're, uh, you just have to look down to the top edge, Uh, you don't have to actually look at the back screen to see all your settings, everything's right there there's also an improved menu system that really makes a uh, and an improved user interface so it makes it easier navigating and control uh getting through the the menus are really easy are uh, the The S-Series also has Wi-Fi and Bluetooth on board as well, so you can not only control the camera remotely, but you can also use the Lumix companion app as well. So say that you want to transfer images from the camera to your phone, say you've taken this ripper photo that you want to share on Instagram, uh, you can send it straight from the camera to your phone, and Bob's your uncle, you'll be able to share it. The other great feature about the camera is the battery life. Battery is there's a 3,050 milliamp hour battery on board, and I used the camera for two days. I charged it once in two days. That's how good the battery, and and I still had camera power left. It was incredible. Nice big fat battery on board. You're not going to run out of power anytime soon. The Lumix S series will be available in Australia in April. Uh, the S1 starts at three thousand five hundred and ninety nine. That's body only. Uh, there is a there is a, a you can buy it with a twenty four to one oh five lens that takes the price up to five thousand one hundred and ninety nine dollars. If you want to get the S1R, the body only starts at five thousand two hundred ninety nine bucks. And if you want to chuck in the twenty four to one oh five lens as well, that's going to take the price up to six thousand eight hundred and ninety nine dollars. But As I said, these are designed for professionals, and professionals are happy to spend the money when the results are this good. Check out my photos. They're all my images in there, by the way. Check them out. Tell me what you think. All those images captured with the S1R, so that's what I was using in sunny Hobart. If you want to read more about that and see those amazing pictures, you can check that out at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. The place to stay updated and educated. All right, let's talk about BenQ and their new True 4K projectors. Uh, They've just released these new True 4K HDR Pro projectors, which gives a cinema-like experience, uh, but at an affordable price. BenQ have been leading the way here at that affordable 4K market. And now they've actually come up with true 4K, which is even more impressive, uh, especially at the price that I'm going to tell you in a moment. There's two models. There's the W5700, the W2700, both DLP, that's Digital Light Processing Projectors, really high image quality, great color performance as well, really easy to set up. Both models have a 3840 by 2160 resolution. That's 8.3 million pixels. Now, in the past, there have been 4K projectors, including from BenQ, that offer 4K, but not true 4K. There's a bit of pixel shifting going on, and they were able to move pixels, so they're kind of in two places at once because they're so fast, and they were able to create a kind of 4K image, which looked great, but it was kind of like interlacing a signal rather than giving it pure... 4K. In this instance, pure 4K is what you're going to get. It's got a 4K optical system. There are six structured groups of all glass lens elements on board here, and that adds up to really nice light transmission. And that also adds up to brilliant image quality as well. Uh, these projectors, the 5700 has a brightness of one one eighteen hundred lumens. The 2700 has two thousand lumens, slightly brighter. But the W5700 uh, actually has a wider color gamut. So it's the DCI P3 color standard. The 5700 actually provides 100% coverage of that color space. The 2700 covers about 95% of it. So for the extra money, you're getting a better projector because it has more color coverage. So the image quality the accuracy of colours is going to be slightly higher with the 5700. But that's not to say the 2700 is no slouch either. That's a pretty good projector for the price. And as I mentioned, HDR on board. So HDR Pro supports both HDR10 and the HLG formats. There's all auto colour and tone mapping. So you're getting really crisp and bright images, a great clarity and really, really... Beautiful realism as well. The new projectors, you know, these are designed for customers who want a big screen but don't want to pay 17000 for an 82-inch television. They want to get the big screen feel without the big price. And this is achievable with these products. You can put a screen on the wall. There's speakers built in as well. So if you just wanted to watch these out of the box, they've got speakers already built in, really easy to set up, and offer this massive screen size. The 5700, you can beam an image up to 300 inches. The 2700, you can go up to 200 inches, which is pretty cool. Now, well, how much are they? I've said they're affordable. The 2700, the W2700 is priced at $2,499, a bargain. The W fifty seven hundred goes on sale in April. That's three thousand nine hundred and ninety-nine bucks. So even at twenty five hundred getting a really good result, uh, that's available now. The fifty seven hundred if you want to wait for that, that's slightly better uh, at three thousand nine hundred and ninety-nine bucks. Ben Q done a great job there with their their true 4K projectors. If you want to read more about those, you can check that out at techguide.com.au Now, how many of you have caught an Uber or any other ride-sharing service and thought, you know what I could do with a drink, or I'm a little hungry? You're in the Uber, going where you got to go, or coming home from where you were, and you're a bit hungry. You you would love a drink, you'd love a snack, or maybe some other things. You may be uh, returning with uh, a, another person to your home. You might need some um, some products, some health products, some condoms, I'll say it. Uh, the first in-car vending machine in Australia is now available. It's uh, by a company called Grabbox. Uh, and what they've done is they've created this product, this vending machine that sits near the centre console and offers rideshare customers drinks, snacks, and other things you might want to purchase. So straps into the console, you want to grab a drink or a snack, it's it's all cashless by the way, so you just scan a barcode and then you're paid, and uh, it just really, it's a really good idea that not only will create some cash, obviously for the company, it'll, it's a really good idea, but also generate extra revenue for the driver, so the driver pays nothing to have grab box in their car, and they get a cut of whatever's sold. Which is really attractive. So, uh, you know, we've already seen the very really polite Uber drivers. I'm sure you've been in these cars. There's free mints and there's a lot of these little water bottles. But now they can offer more. They can offer soft drinks and proper vending machine products. Whether it's uh, some chocolate or uh, other snacks or a drink or whatever they want or. The, these box of condoms, let's face it, you might be, rather than stopping off at the pharmacy, then they're right there in the vending machine in front of you and uh, saves you a trip. There's uh, Mars bars, chewing gum, soft drinks, and other health products as well. So really good idea. Uh, already launched in the US. There's a couple of these already in the US that have done really well. This is the first launch in Australia, Grab box, it's called. So next time you're in an Uber, or other ride-sharing service, there are now several in Australia. Uh, check it out. See if there's a, a grab box in the car, and and if you're a driver, if you're listening to this, you might be listening to me right now uh, between picking up passengers in your ride-sharing vehicle. Uh, there is a re- there is a way for you to get involved as well. I've put all the links on Tech Guide. You might want to have a grab box in your car if you're driving around earning money as an Uber driver. Uh, they're saying that this could end up giving drivers generating up to $200 in additional revenue each month. Now, how handy is that? If you're a driver, that can't hurt, and, and it costs you nothing. You just take your cut of what, you, what is sold in the car. And uh, I'm sure plenty of people are going to want to drink a snack, a sanitary product, a pack of Chewy, or a box of condoms. So check it out, Grabbox if you want to see that story, see the link, whether you're a driver or a passenger, check it out at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fannick. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Netgear. They're Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand, and they're issuing a challenge. They're issuing the Orbi Home Wi-Fi Challenge. If you buy a Netgear Orbi Wi-Fi kit, If you don't get better home Wi-Fi, you're going to get your money back. That's a lot of confidence in a product. If it didn't work, they wouldn't be offering that challenge. Orbi Wi-Fi systems are designed for any size home, large or small. And you can even add more Orbis to your home. Orbi add-on satellites give you more coverage. So there's no more dead zones, no black spots, better Wi-Fi across the board, Perfect for backyards, garages, and even pushing the Wi-Fi out to the granny flat. In today's modern household, Orbi's tri-band Wi-Fi system lets you stream your favorite movies in 4K and play on online games by providing ultra-fast Wi-Fi, no matter how many devices are connected. Orbi plugs into your existing modem and is really easy to set up with just a couple of clicks. And not only does it work great, it looks great too and blends into your home's decor. Orbi's the easy Easiest, fastest, and most expansive and advanced mesh Wi-Fi network system available today. For more information, visit netgear.com.au. Or be better Wi Fi everywhere. And now answering all your tech questions, the Tech Guide Help Desk. In the Tech Guide Help Desk, I've got a really interesting one. It's not really answering a question, it is actually something that I'm looking into. A reader contacted me this week and said that they had their iPhone in their back pocket, iPhone ten, which has an IP sixty seven rating, which means that it can it can withstand being submerged in a meter of water for thirty minutes. Uh, this gentleman who uh, emailed me said that he had the phone in his pocket, and during in in Sydney this week and over the weekend, it's been heavy rain. He says that it got wet in his pocket. The screen wouldn't turn on. Uh, he's then gone up to the Apple store and explained what happened, uh, and they said that they don't cover water damage. So there's no repair under warranty. Said so They said water damage is not covered under warranty. Now, this is despite the fact that the phone has an IP67 rating. And as I said that means you can sit this phone the iPhone 10 so it's last year's model in 2017's model actually in a meter of water for 30 minutes yet it gets wet in his pocket and they say that water damage is not covered under warranty. Now to me and I'm waiting on a response from Apple here and I'll keep you informed I'll be writing this on Tech Guide I will be keeping you informed every step of the way here. But to me, that if a phone gets wet by rain in your pocket, isn't that some kind of failure of the IP67 rating? Uh, I've seen people putting their phones in vases to demonstrate the. I did it myself for my review. And yet, if it gets wet in your pocket. It's not covered. I don't understand. As I said, I'm waiting for a response from Apple. I'm also waiting for more details from my reader. I just want to make sure that the lengthy email he sent was actually quite descriptive about what had happened. The phone was in his pocket. It was a downpour. Screen wouldn't turn on. Went to the Apple site. Went to the Apple store. They refused a warranty repair, uh, and he said, "Well, is this false advertising?" He said that they're advertising these phones can can take photos and do things underwater and uh, can withstand these the the IP67. They're water resistant, not waterproof. Uh, that's pretty clear. But if it's can withstand thirty minutes underwater for uh, under a, a meter of water for thirty minutes, then surely getting wet in your pocket that shouldn't have happened. So I'm, I'm waiting to, to understand, get my head around the whole thing and understand exactly what happened, and I am following it up. I'm currently uh, uh, waiting a reply from Apple. I will keep you informed uh, on Tech Guide and also on next week's podcast as well. So while I can't provide the answer to that question, I'm pursuing an answer to that question about the iPhone that got wet in your pocket despite having an IP67 rating not being covered for a warranty repair. Uh, keep an eye Tech Guide for uh, any updates on that story. We'll be talking about it again on next week's show. And that's the end of our show for this week. You can read about everything that we've talked about at techguide.com.au. And if you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. Send us a voice bite. Your voice can be on the Tech Guide show. You click on the record button on the homepage. You'll be able to record a question that you want to ask me. So rather than writing your question, you can record your question and I will receive it here, play it on the podcast and answer it on the show. Or if you want to go old school, we still accept emails, info at techguide.com.au. We want to give a special shout out to our sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and also Norton, the company that can keep you and your family safe online. Thanks once again for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week. So until then, stay safe and stay connected.